From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. A proposed law guaranteeing safe and legal abortion nationwide fails to pass the Senate this week after demonstrations around the country and here at the Supreme Court. The pro-choice movement is the real pro-life movement. Not only are we here for reproductive health, but we're here to keep families together. We're here for Medicare for all. We're here for paid parental leave. We're here for all of that. And we're here to support women and children if they choose to have them. And while Congress failed to support reproductive justice, it did vote to give $40 billion more to Ukraine for what is openly acknowledged now to be a U.S. proxy war with Russia. We don't have health care. We don't have free college education. We have failing public education. And you want us to throw our children into a system like that? But while signs of system failure abound, add D.C. bus drivers to the recent wave of victories for labor. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, on Wednesday, the Senate failed to advance the Women's Health Protection Act, which would affirm abortion rights at the federal level as the U.S. Supreme Court seems poised to reverse their landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. Roe made abortion legal at the federal level, but has been chipped away by the right wing and at the state level since that time. And in a repeat of so many crucial votes this year, the Senate tally was 51 to 49, with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin voting with all Republicans, including female Republicans, to defeat the legislation. Though Manchin's no vote was announced in advance and defeat was expected, Democrats still put the proposed law through the process after the leaked draft of a Supreme Court decision indicated that the high court is planning to overturn Roe v. Wade next month. After the Senate vote, protesters from the Party for Socialism and Liberation rallied outside the Supreme Court. Rally MC Nicole Roussel blamed the Democrats for not making women's rights a priority over the decades when they have controlled both houses of Congress and the White House. Joe Manchin is somebody who stood in the way today of, of women's rights, but I want to emphasize how much it is also the, the system, the Democratic Party, that lets him do that. They could pass this. And we are out here to demand that they do pass this, that they decide, you know what, we are going to get rid of the filibuster. I don't care if one or two people in our party don't want to. I don't care if Joe Manchin or Christian Sinema don't want to get rid of the filibuster. Let's get rid of it because it's an undemocratic rule anyway. They say no choice. We say pro-choice. They say no choice. We say pro-choice. We'll have more voices rallying at the Supreme Court later in the show. But meantime, the potential repeal of Roe has brought into sharp relief the issue of what is pro-life. On late Thursday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who signed that state's infamous abortion ban into law last year, issued a joint statement with something called the National Border Patrol Council, denouncing the federal policy to feed migrant children in U.S. custody, while there is at the same time a shortage of infant formula. So this so-called pro-life governor, Abbott, is advocating that these children being caged by the U.S. be starved. And this latest statement by Abbott comes after he said he wants to oppose the legal requirement that states provide public education to all children, including children of undocumented workers. 
states like Texas that have so-called trigger laws in place to ban abortion are some of the same states that have refused to expand Medicaid under Obamacare and have very poor life outcomes for poor and working class families. Tate Reeves, governor of Mississippi, where the Supreme Court case is being considered originated, could not escape the facts of his state during his appearance on CNN. So, Governor, you and I have talked about this before, but Mississippi, as you know, has the highest rate of infant mortality in the United States. You have the highest rate of child poverty in the United States. Your state has no guaranteed maternity leave that's paid. The legislature in Mississippi just rejected uh, extending postpartum Medicaid coverage. Uh, Your foster care system is also the subject of a long-running federal lawsuit over its, its failure to protect children from abuse. You and I have had this conversation before. I hear you. You say you want to do more to support mothers and children. But based on the track record of the state of Mississippi, why should any of these girls or moms believe you? We have um, a long history of, of poor health outcomes. It's due in large part uh, to poverty. And so we are focusing every day on fixing uh, the challenges that are before us. You, when you talk about these young ladies, the, the best thing we can do for them is to provide and improve educational opportunities for them. Reeves also repeated the cruel trope, what he called the next phase of the pro-life movement, and that is adoption. So after being forced to give birth, and Mississippi's trigger law, for example, does not even have an exception for incest, women with unwanted pregnancies would be urged to put their newborn babies up for adoption. While Congress failed to pass legislation for reproductive justice, it did vote to give that $40 billion, billion with a B, dollars more to Ukraine for what Representative Seth Moulton of Massachusetts openly acknowledged on Sunday to be a U.S. proxy war against Russia, not a battle to protect Ukraine. Cole Harrison, executive director of Massachusetts Peace Action, wrote in a commentary published on Common Dreams on May 12th that the $40 billion for war escalates the Ukraine war. And he says that it's time for negotiations, not arms shipments, to end the Ukraine-Russia war. He points out that, quote, the Biden administration has not outlined a strategy for ending the war, only one for hitting back at Russia. Secretary of State Blinken has not met with Russian Foreign Secretary Lavrov since the Russian invasion started more than two months ago. There is no off-ramp. There is no diplomacy. End quote. Meanwhile, such lavish military spending combined with sanctions on Russia and rising inflation are having a tremendous impact on the U.S. economy. Economist Richard Wolf said this week on his show Economic Update, that the U.S. economy is shrinking because Americans have less money to buy goods and services that are becoming more and more expensive. If you have an inflation of 10%, everything costs more, and you don't raise people's wages anywhere near that, then they won't be able to afford what they could have afforded before. And if they're buying less goods and services, well, then fewer of them will be produced. And that's what you're watching. Very bad for the American economy. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking otherwise. 
in D.C., bus drivers and teachers are fighting for better pay and benefits as part of the national trend of increased union activity and victories. Chris Smalls, president of the new Amazon Workers Union, recently met with President Biden and testified before Congress about the illegal union busting tactics by Amazon and other corporations. That same week, drivers for D.C.'s privately managed circulator bus line were striking against the management company RATP DEV USA. Thomas O'Rourke visited the picket line for members of the amalgamated Transit Union Local 689 and filed this report. I spoke to striking drivers of the D.C. Circulator bus line, some of their union comrades, and to ATU Local 689 spokesman Brian Wyvell on the picket line less than a day before the union and company announced an agreement to a new contract. You name a government service, there are people out there trying to make a profit off of it instead of providing good public jobs and, uh, you know, good public services. Um, This is absolutely just one more step in what we've been doing over the last couple of years. Local 689 is fully committed to the idea of public transit as something that should be run for the good of the people uh, and not to take uh, public money and turn it for profit. We are fully committed to that idea and we understand that the only way we're going to get solid, good public services is when they are run by the public for the public benefit. And, uh, you know, we were out there, you know, not only a couple of years ago at Cinderbed Road on strike there against WMATA's efforts to privatize a metro bus garage. We won there after 85 day long strike. And I'm proud to say that every single one of those workers is now a worker at WMATA that is going to be retiring with good wages and benefits and can count on that as a career job. And we view this DC circulator fight as just one more step in that larger picture fight of making sure that every transit worker in this region has good wages and benefits and uh, in part Part of the way we do that is by making sure that these private contractors have to play by the same rules as all the other uh, transit systems in this region. It has been a struggle for this union to make sure that they keep up with the other transit systems in this region. Uh, originally, when the circulator was first introduced, uh, 689, I believe, might have even supported it at that time because we were under the impression that it was going to be a supplemental bus service to WMATA uh, run to just run express routes downtown. And that is something we, you know, local 689 is fully in support of public transit. And the expansion of public transit. If we take climate change seriously, we need to do, uh, uh, you know, we need to we need to dramatically expand the amount of public transit we're doing. Sure. But we know firsthand that when you do public, quote unquote, public transit for private profit, it's not going to be run well. It's going to be to the public's detriment, and especially to the detriment to the workers out there. We talking about equal pay. You know, we trying to survive just like everybody else. And the way that these guys been playing hardball with us, we. We go to the table. Uh, we went to the table yesterday, and hopefully we can get some signed tonight. By equal pay, you mean equal with Metro drivers? Yes, yes, yes. and parity with them. That's because we're part of the same union. They're going to definitely uh, shoot for the same thing that they get. We ran through the pandemic. We constantly ran during the pandemic, nonstop. You know. Uh, we had drivers here that passed away doing that, and you know, just thinking about it. No hazard pay. No hazard pay at all. <laughs> the buses, they break down on the road because they're not buying the parts to fix the buses. So, we out there, we got to move the buses out the yard. You know, and it's like, they've been getting millions of dollars a year since they've been here. But 
they're not sharing it with us. What we're hoping to accomplish was to bring the circulator operators up in parity with those of us who work at WMATA, um, who are part of the same local, we're driving the same buses, we're doing the same work. The only difference between my bus and their bus is the paint job. The only difference between my uniform and their uniform is the color. We're driving on the same streets, we're picking up the same passengers. Their bus fare is $1, mine is $2. But we all deserve to make enough money to be able to support our families and hopefully retire one day. So you're a Metro driver? That's correct. Okay. How long have you been a Metro driver? Almost 16 years. Almost 16 years. So you are out here in the same union in solidarity with, with these stri striking brothers and sisters. That's correct. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. That's great. Uh, I'm, I'm 20 years in service with the authority of Metro as well. I'm a mechanic. Just because I'm a mechanic and not an actual bus operator, we still have the same units here. We are in the same fight. The following day, ATU Local 689 issued a press release announcing the overwhelming approval of a new three-year contract by striking drivers and an end to the three-day strike. The settlement, according to the union, includes improvements in both health care and retirement benefits, as well as substantial wage increases. Starting pay for bus drivers jumped more than 25 percent, partly to try to remedy a driver shortage, while all circulator drivers will see an 18.5 percent wage increase over the contract's life. Other union gains include a PPO health insurance option, 4% employer contributions to 401k pensions without an employee match, a new holiday, and a cap on split runs or split shifts for drivers, as well as strong language to prevent job outsourcing and the loss of rights under the Family Medical Leave Act. Clearly, this union battle counts as a victory for drivers seeking a decent living and parity with other public transport drivers across our region. For On the Ground, this is Thomas O'Rourke in Washington. 500 substitute teachers in D.C. public schools are in their 18th week of Monday morning protests for better pay, benefits, and respect. Lydia Curtis was outside D.C.'s Wilson Building to give us an update. As demonstrations demanding higher pay, sick leave, legal protections, and paid professional development for DCPS substitute teachers entered its 18th week, workers continued to press the mayor and the D.C. City Council for a livable wage despite the recently announced increase. Workers say that the $5 increase for daily substitutes and the $10 increase for long-term substitutes who work 30 consecutive days in the same building is an insult and is not nearly what they are asking for. The current increase brings daily substitute teachers who make up an overwhelming majority of substitutes to $20 an hour. In a recent statement by Washington Substitute Teachers United, WSTU, substitute teachers are demanding a raise to $35 an hour for all, regardless of their status, and will continue to protest every Monday from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. at the District Building, 1350 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. Longtime substitute Caroline Joss shared her thoughts, which sum up the opinions of many substitutes. I've been working as a substitute teacher in the D.C. public schools since 2007, uh, which is pretty amazing. And I'm still appalled that we are being treated so badly by the D.C. public schools because we are vital to keeping the schools running, especially in the last two years. There's no excuse 
for not raising the pay of a group of people such as us for more than how many years is that? Almost 20 years <laughs> since I started. Yeah. I mean, and I do believe, as Myrtle has said, that it has to do with us being mainly women and good proportion of African-American women. I think we're disenfranchised. I think our voices get lost. So I think it's a, it's a multi, you know, it's yeah. a, there's a lot of different layers to this. Yeah. And for full disclosure, I am also a DCPS substitute teacher and have been a member of WSTU since 2018. If you care about workers' rights and living wages in D.C., WSTU urges the community to come out and stand with substitute teachers. And if you or someone you know has substitute taught in the past three years, contact us immediately at M-A-C-E-D-A at AOL.com. That's Makeda, M-A-C-E-D-A at AOL.com. For On the Ground, this is Lydia Curtis. In Black Lives Matter news, New Jersey's Supreme Court has granted parole to Sundiata Okoli, a former member of the Black Liberation Army, convicted in the 1973 shooting death of a New Jersey state trooper, Werner Forster. The court concluded that the parole board had not proved that Okoli, who is 85 years old and suffers from dementia, was likely to commit another crime if released. Fellow Black Liberation Army member Asada Shakur was also wounded in the incident on the New Jersey Turnpike. And a third member, Zaid Malik Shakur, was also killed. Though she has always maintained her innocence, Asada Shakur was also convicted of murder, but later escaped prison and fled to Cuba, where she still lives. And finally, in culture and media, the Biden administration's new Disinformation Governance Board is continuing to spark controversy, This week, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called the board an quote-unquote abuse of power and announced support of a bill that would terminate the new bureau, which has been dubbed the Ministry of Truth in reference to George Orwell's novel 1984. Last month, the Department of Homeland Security announced the creation of the board to help combat what it called the spread of disinformation that threatens national security. But critics warned that The Bureau is an attempt from the federal government to regulate what is true and to police free speech. Also, the Women's March is marching again Saturday, May 14th at 12 p.m. in Washington, D.C. It will gather at the northeast side of the Washington Monument and then march to the Supreme Court at 2 p.m. The theme is Bans Off Our Bodies. And the demand is that elected officials take action before the Supreme Court gets the chance to overturn abortion. And finally, I will be one of the speakers May 17th in front of the Department of Justice, demanding U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland drop all charges against journalist and WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange and set him free. This event is a sister action in solidarity with one happening at the same time in London. Both actions are ahead of the May 18th deadline when UK Home Secretary Priti Patel may make the final decision on Assange's U.S. extradition, where he would be tried for espionage for revealing U.S. war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan.
In the coming weeks, we will have more reports from our recent trip to Cuba. But for today, those are our headlines and happenings. I'm Esther Averam, and this is On the Ground. Stay with us. that does not 
reflect us, that does not support us, and that is clearly not here for us, the people. That's why we're out here today. And I want to introduce our next speaker, Yasmin Zara. She's an incredible labor organizer, and she's also running the U.S. Labor Against Racism and War, because when you talk about labor, when you talk about labor issues, when you talk about making sure that when you go to work, you, you have the right conditions, that you have a right to your own labor, that you actually get paid a fair wage, yes. all of that is so connected and so related to being able to control your own self-determination, control your own destiny, control your own life, right? That's all the same thing. And when you talk about labor issues, you gotta talk about war, what we were just talking about, what we just said. You gotta talk about war, you gotta talk about racism, right? We know there's racism that happens at work. We know that black women make a lot less money than white women, that black women make a whole lot less money than, than white men. But we're allowed here to say, if we have to struggle together, all of us struggle together to get where we're going. So I wanna introduce Yasmin Zara. Please, please clap for her as she comes up. Hello! I just want to echo what the sister said. I always felt like the pro-choice movement is the real pro-life movement, right? Because not only are we here for reproductive health, not only are we here for reproductive health, but we're here to keep families together. We're here for Medicare for all. We're here for paid parental leave. We're here for all of that. And we're here to support women and children if they choose to have them every step of the way, including after they get birth. I think it's really clear to me, I've been in the labor movement for over a decade now, that striking down reproductive health is an issue for the labor movement. Our right to control our bodies and our reproductive health is the right to control our labor. Forcing women to give birth, forcing us to give birth, it's only gonna lead to desperation and death. That's the only thing it leads to. That's what history shows us. It's not gonna be any different. If Roe were to be overturned, it would have a massively disproportionate impact on poor women, on women of color, both criminalizing them and punishing them. The good news is there are way more of us, most Americans in this country support women's right to abortion access than those of us who are trying to strip our rights away. So say it with me, pro-life, that's a lie. Body. The four high 
the highest uh, population have something like four times the population of the four states with the lowest population, but every state, no matter what your population, gets two senators. Want to also, by the way, protect Roe v. Wade, and the majority of us live in, in states with high populations, so we only get two senators. The Senate is a very democratic body, and it was essentially put into place to protect slavery as a system, which is what this country was founded on, as we all know. Exactly. So, in February, the Senate took this up, and they voted 46 to 48, and it failed. But, two senators voted against it, and they're both Democrats. So what we gotta do is make the Democrats actually pass this thing. They got the power right now. They can do it. We have to make them pass it. That's right. That's right. We gotta make them pass it. At the moment, you might see politicians. You might see politicians coming on the, uh, on the stage. You might see them, uh, you know, on the TV and the uh, on the YouTube ads, whatever. You might see them a, a bunch of different places. And they're saying, "Well, you gotta get out and vote in November." Now that may be true, but. This is a now issue. This isn't a November issue. This is a now issue. If people coming in June, if we don't do something now, we are going to lose our right, our basic right to health care, our basic right to self-determination. Our basic right. So we have to make this get passed now. Not November. It's too late. We don't know what's going to happen in November. It doesn't matter. They have power now. They have to pass it now. Are y'all out here in the rain? Are y'all here in the cold just to let the Democrats pass this by, pass this moment by? No! Are you out here in the rain on a Saturday just to let the Democrats let this pass by? No! Are we gonna stand together and fight together until we get this passed? No! Are we gonna stand up for these basic rights that we need? Yeah! This isn't just a woman's issue. It is a very much a woman's issue. It is also issue for every gender. It is an issue for every human being. And like the sister said earlier, this is an issue that isn't just abortion. It is also all these other things. It is these basic rights that we deserve as human beings. And when you look at this government that has laws like you can get drug out in the street if you don't pay your rent even though you don't have a guaranteed job. If you look at the, the laws that this government makes that you can not have determination over your own body. If you look at the laws this government makes that, like recently, we're gonna send, you know, we this country spends about a trillion dollars every single year on war, about a trillion dollars. And that goes to killing other people overseas, other workers overseas. They spend about a trillion dollars every year on that. But recently they decided, well, we don't need to have we don't need to actually pay anymore for people who are uninsured for their COVID care. We don't need to pay anymore for that. We're going to stop paying for testing, for vaccinations, oh. for anything, for COVID care, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic. So what does that tell you about this government? It tells me that they don't care about us. It tells me that we need a new system. We need something else. Now I'd like to bring up our next speaker. I'm gonna bring up Stephanie. She's been uh, an incredible organizer out here on the mic. You may remember her from over there. It's another great place when we were over there. Stephanie, please come on up. Please uh, welcome her. She's on. Hi guys. I am out here all the way from.
from Michigan. <laughs> this is that this was not legislated on on gender equality like RBG wanted. Legislated on privacy. And the crazy thing is that if they can get rid of Roe v. Wade, they can get rid of contraception, they can get rid of marriage equality, they can get rid of gay rights, they can get rid of Miranda rights. All of those were legislated on privacy. So it is vitally important that we let them know that we're not gonna let them get rid of Roe v. Wade. Because all of these Republicans are lining up already. You can see in Texas, Governor Abbott, he put forth a bill to get rid of public education for everyone. Shame, shame. It is a slippery slope for this. So it is vitally important that we show up today we show up tomorrow, we show up every day until November. We harass them. <laughs> we become a nuisance. Be a nuisance because it is vitally important that we do not let this pass us by. Abortion is healthcare. Abortion is a human right. You can see just like in 1970, we went one way, Romania went another way. It is statistically shown that more women will die if you get rid of, of abortion. Because getting rid of abortion rights does not get rid of abortion. It gets rid of safe access. Women will die. And they are telling you that abortion is not needed because there is a huge need for adoptions. We have 400,000 children in the, foster in the foster care system currently, and it is overloaded. And that is with abortion access. And they would like us to carry children nine months to term when that can be a very traumatic thing for some people. Giving birth is a traumatic experience. And then you want us to part with our children and throw them into a system that we have shown that does not care about them, that will traumatize them, that will assault them. We don't have health care. We don't have free college education. We have failing public education. And you want us to throw our children into a system like that? That is horrifying. Shame. Shame on them. They do not care about life. They only care about birth. And then once you're born, they don't give a <laughs> So you guys have to keep this energy up. We have to keep it up. We cannot have the same amnesiatic thing that happens every time something insane happens. We care about it for a month, and then we just kind of forget about it. No, we have to keep this energy up. We have to keep it up until June. We have to keep it up until November. We have to keep it up until 2024. Get out there. Get in the streets. Organize. Meet your community. It is vitally important that we show up. So get out there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie.
We've got, again, a couple more speakers. People are here from around the country. People are upset. I don't know if you know why. You probably know why. Yeah, I know. Me too. That's why we're all out here. And uh, I'm so glad that people are here, even, you know, when people decided to come to fly here from Michigan, to fly here from Louisiana, to fly here from Florida. I'm glad there are D.C. people out here, too. If you're from D.C., if you live here, let's hear it. That's right. There's a lot of us out here who care. There's a lot of marches in D.C. There's a lot of rallies in D.C. But you can tell when people are really, really, really upset about something. We had about at least 5,000 people. It might have been closer to 7,000 out here on Tuesday night. I mean, you couldn't see the end of the crowd. And, you know, that's why they got barricades up. They know, the Supreme Court knows, the police know that this is important and this is an issue that people are willing to come out about even in the rain. That's right. You know, I, I wanted to touch on something real quick before we bring up the next speaker. You know, the, the right wing has passed hundreds of unjust laws against women, against trans people, against black people all over this country, erasing voting rights, trying to completely eradicate any, you know, any right to voting for people that they don't want to vote. But I just, it's so clear to me that that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. People aren't gonna let that fly. There are people here from all over the country today, and there's people all over the country, in, in cities around the country who are fighting today, who are out in the streets, because that is what it's gonna take. It's gonna take a mass movement. It's gonna take people fighting. It's gonna take people fighting to make this stop and to give us our rights. And that's why we're out here. Sarah from Florida, please. Yeah! Woo! Hi, my name is Sarah Parker. I am the president of Women's Voices of Southwest Florida. I have been fighting with my organization and two activists that have gone to jail in Florida over our abortion rights. We fought against a six-week abortion ban. And when the day, the first day we got into DC, the man from Texas that brought that ban was standing across the sidewalk. Not only did we do that, Immediately after, we were able to protect, alongside with other allies and grassroots movements, doing direct actions. Florida, until June, a 15-week abortion ban came up, along with the Don't Say Gay Bill, done by dictator DeSantis. We have had activists pulled out of the House of Representatives for standing up for our choice when a representative said we had bets to see how many times we would hear my body, my choice when people went to testify. To see all of you out here knowing when we fly back gives us hope. Because they are trying to stop our rights. They are going to go back on everything they have promised us. My child, as a black woman, as a black activist that has been out in the streets since June, we marched three days. Our counties together are marching almost every single day in Florida. And we are standing here to let them know and let them see that there are people out here, like you guys, standing out here every single day. And we are going to come back and stand in solidarity. This is no longer an ask. This is a tell. 
they will go to five row. Those were voices rallying outside the U.S. Supreme Court Saturday, May 7, 2022, organized by the Party for Socialism and Liberation. The Women's March returns to D.C. on May 14th at noon, and their theme is Bands Off Our Bodies. I'm Esther Averam, and this is On the Ground. Stay with us. In the two years since June 2020, when law enforcement brutalized demonstrators in Lafayette Square with flashbang shells, tear gas, and rubber bullets in advance of Trump's walk across the square, the ACLU DC and Black Lives Matter DC have been fighting for a settlement that would ensure greater protection and civil liberties to prevent such travesty from occurring in the future. On April 13th of this year, a settlement between the ACLU and the Justice Department that resolved portions of several lawsuits related to the events of 2020 was reached. Although the settlement lessens law enforcement's power to use force, there remain criticisms that it did not address enough from Black Lives Matter D.C. We spoke with Black Lives Matter D.C. organizer April Goggins on what this settlement means and how the landscape has changed over the years since it's been fought. I want to say first that I, I am always happy for any time things that we are working for or, you know, resisting against make some kind of headway. Um, and so some of the things that this settlement changes, are it raises the standards for what the park police can revoke demonstration permits for. As BLM, we don't always, you know, use permits because we're not generally stationary, but I'll say things like after the Women's March, the Park Police and some of those entities raised how easy it was for them to revoke and, like, how hard it was to apply for permits. So this allowing, you know, making them, you know, not be able to, to add easily revoke those permits is pretty good for folks who are engaged in dissent. It also says that they have to enable the safe withdrawal of folks that are protesting when it's being dispersed. So all the 
tear gas and the beating people and running them down with horses and stuff, they are not supposed to do that. Great. And well, hopefully they'll stick to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Yeah, so I think a, another one for me is the reducing the opportunity for guilty by association, and that modifies the Secret Service policy. And so for me, I think that they are very helpful. I think it's also, too, you know, important to remember, though, that we're talking about the state, right? We're talking about the government. And what we know is, you know, they, they still have a monopoly on violence, right? So at least this gives some amount of, you know, written on paper things that you can point to when they're not followed. Um, but we also know, you know, how this, this works historically. So really hoping that, you know, this is helpful you know, helpful for folks, I will say that the guilt by association stuff will be, um, is one of the things I think that people who don't protest and maybe haven't been up against the state don't really understand how widespread that is. Um, And that's to say that, you know, just being there, um, and that's what happened in the J20 case, as well as in the 2020 uprising, is that just simply being there, you know, they were either attacking, arresting, detaining, kettling folks. And so one of the changes also means admitting that it was happening. So I think it's all, I think it's all, it's, it's a step forward. Um, but, it, you know, nothing will ever stop our ability to organize. You have to remember that these are attempts to stop our ability totally. to organize. But it's not, it's definitely not going to, it's definitely not going to stop. But also super critical that, you know, we also are able to hold individual actors accountable. The, the police often get to act anonymously, right? We don't always have to know their name or their badge number. In fact, we really have to search for them when we want to go, you know, for them. Um, so I think that'll, that, that's definitely got to come next. Right. So is there, would you have pushed this even further or would there have been even further actions that you would have liked to see them take or measures that you would have liked to see them take? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of that's kind of a twofold answer. Um, first, yeah, I think I'm one of you know we would try to push as far as we could under whatever you know appropriate law um, to make the changes that needed to be changed. Um, I think we were very cognizant of not, um, like for instance, saying you can beat people, just don't beat them that badly. But <laughs> um, we didn't, you know, make sure that we held you know, held our, our, our position with them that, you know, that we weren't going to be legitimizing in any way any of the things that they did. But I also think that there's always going to be a limit doing it through, through the courts or through the state, right? Um, because ultimately, you know, they kind of do what they do and then we try to, try to hold them accountable. But I think for me, I mean, clearly, if we could just, demonstrate and push against the state without any uh, state interaction, well, first, we probably wouldn't need it. <laughs> we wouldn't need to be doing the protesting that we're doing, but uh, we also know that's not going to happen. So, Right, right. Um, so thank you for that. Um, next, I just wanted to ask if we could take it back a little bit, and um, mm-hmm. just very briefly in your own words, if you could kind of let people know what the history of of this cases and what it dates back to and um, everything that's gone down, how it originated and what, what's been going on since then. Right. 
So during the 2020 uprising here in D.C., folks might remember that on June 1st, several different police agencies and security agencies cleared Lafayette Square Park so that then-President Trump could take a picture in front of the mm-hmm. church. Yes. Uh, and so when that happened, the way that they cleared them uh, was they deployed tear gas, and they were also feeding folks. You can see the videos. Mm-hmm. So It lives in infamy now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, the other part of that is I think people should remember that in the beginning, like, a lot of them said that this didn't happen or that it didn't happen in the way that, you know, it was being portrayed. And then, of course, the videos came out. And we also know that, you know, this was kind of the – um, kind of the tone of the summer in D.C. is that, you know, you would see the big protest, but people did not necessarily understand the level of, like, the criminalization of dissent and the use of violence against dissent that was just daily here. And so being able to bring this to light also shows folks that, like, hey, Lafayette Park is right across the street from Black Lives Matter Plaza. And Mm -hmm. so to say to folks that, like, you know, the police violence that we're protesting against, you can't um, separate that from the police violence that is used against those who are resisting police violence. And the fact that, you know, it happens here in the district where, you know, people, thousands of, hundreds of thousands of people came to D.C. to protest against the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, Mm -hmm, But there mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. still no light that was shown on police victims here in D.C. So, yeah, so, you know, it's really important both here in D.C. as well as, you know, worldwide that people understand that having 32 independent police departments in D.C. means there's just an an over-reliance on police to stop defense. Right. So thank you for giving that that, um, background. I guess I was, I really wanted to ask you while I had you, if you might be willing to talk about some of the ways that the climate around protesting has changed since this case first began in 2020. And like, sometimes I feel like we're not seeing the same fire that we were seeing Mm. from from people for for justice, mm-hmm. even though these police killings continue to happen. And I just wondered if you could speak on that, maybe this change in the climate. And, yeah, if you if you had any thoughts on that. I think that's something that a lot of us are, you know, thinking through and talking about. I mean, some of it is just the, the, the cycle of, of protest, right, the cycle of outrage, where, you know, there's something that happens and then people are in the streets. And then it kind of goes away. I think after Trump was elected, that was very different. Or even the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, that the um, effect of that uprising lasted longer then. And that now um, I feel like, you know, mixed in with COVID and just how huge those protests were, just like, I feel like there are two things that happened. First, some people just got like, I don't know if you want to call it, protest fatigue, like at the same time mm. they had COVID fatigue, right? But I think it's, 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 it's clear also, it should be clear also, is we have to ask why people showed up, 
like what was their in, you know what was their motivation because if it was temporary or if it was performative well once the perform once the performance was over and the cameras were gone so were the people so we still mm-hmm. have the same you know during those protests there was two people in DC murdered by police and still people weren't outraged and still people don't necessarily know their names and so there's still a disconnect between what happens nationally to what happens in the district, especially the black and brown folks here in D.C. And so I'm wondering, you know, there's a lot of folks, and I'll, you know, I'll be honest, there's a lot of white folks that came out or, you know, got Black Lives Matter signs or, you know, even mm, donated yeah. money, um, but they did a lot of respectability when it came to protesters, too. They yeah. left And the then protesters. they got freaking yes. ally fatigue or whatever they want to call it. Yes. Thank you. Yes, ally fatigue. Yes. And so people weren't committed. Like, we're black every day, right? So you would hope black lives matter every day. But, you know, I and I'm always challenging those people, like, where are you at? So now, you know, we're still black every day dealing with the impact of the state. There are things that you should still be doing if you actually believe that Black Lives Matter. And then I would say, you know, there's a lot put on black folks for, like, why aren't y'all doing a lot of stuff? We are doing a lot in addition to surviving every day, right? Absolutely. Um, But, you know, I think there is some definite questions we have to ask around what happened between that just, huge bursts of possibility and, and promise and, you know, all of those things to to now. Um, and I will say that it, it does, you know, does feel and look like folks kind of went back to business as, as usual, but I think we're having to kind of reckon now and say, did we, are we changing the material conditions of black folks? And, and I'll speak locally in D.C., are we, did we go back to just, you know, the same kind of campaigns, the same kind of coalitions? Are like, or are we, in the, are we in the streets doing the work of building communities, kind of like this protracted struggle where we realize that this is not about one campaign, it's not about one victory, that, like, we need to be learning, you know, like studying radically with each other and building mutual aid and, and all of those things so that we are actually changing the material conditions for black folks, right? Like it's a totally different way of operating that has a long-term vision that is realistic and far more humanized. Like it's not, you know, people who come in and then move after three or four years in D.C., you know, it's it's native Washingtonians, long-time, you know, residents, and, and folks who have moved here that, you know, have made D.C. their home for the long term, like coming together and saying like, hey, it's The state is not going to do it for us. I've been speaking with April Goggins, core organizer for Black Lives Matter DC. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James. Since the settlement, Mark Esper, who served as Trump's Secretary of Defense at the time, released a memoir in which he says that Trump asked him if the military could shoot Washington DC protesters in the legs. Quote, can't you just shoot them? just shoot them in the legs or something, end quote. Also, though there is a settlement in this case, there are other lawsuits still winding their way through the courts that address compensation to the many protesters, journalists, or passers-by injured by rubber bullets, flashbang grenades, horses, or otherwise by police on June 1st, 2020, near the White House. 
And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network, on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Averam, and on our website and archive at onthegroundshow.org. You can also let us know you like the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Patreon.com at On the Ground Show, all of which have a protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. Or I also archive the shows on my Instagram page, which is Esther underscore Averum, E-S-T-H-E-R underscore I-V like Victor, E-R-E-M like Mary. The music we played this hour included Malcolm's Theme by Kamasi Washington, Centralou by Robert Glasper, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material or you can see all the ways to support including end of the year giving and paypal on our website which you know is on the ground show dot org thank you <laughs>